Homeland, Chapter 9 Families Come, quickly. Zack instructed Drizzt one evening after they had finished their sparring. By the urgency of the Weapon Master's tone, and by the fact that Zack didn't even pause to wait for Drizzt, Drizzt knew that something important was happening. He finally caught up to Zack on the balcony of House Duarden, where Maya and Breeza already stood. What is it? Drizzt asked. Zack pulled him close and pointed out across the great cavern to the northeastern reaches of the city. Lights flashed and faded in sudden bursts. A pillar of fire rose into the sky, then disappeared. A raid, Breeza said offhandedly. Minor houses and of no concern to us. Zack saw that Driz did not understand. One house has attacked another, he explained. Revenge, perhaps, but most likely an attempt to climb to a higher rank in the city. The battle has been long, Breeza remarked. And still the lights flash. Zack continued to clarify the event for the confused second boy of the house. The attacker should have blocked the battle within the Ring of Darkness. Their inability to do so might indicate that the defending house was ready for the raid. All cannot be going well for the attackers, Maya agreed. Driz could hardly believe what he was hearing. Even more alarming than the news itself was the way his family talked about the event. They were so calm in their descriptions, as if this was an expected occurrence. The attackers must leave no witnesses, Zack explained to Drizzt, else they will face the wrath of the ruling council. But we are witnesses, Drizzt reasoned. No, Zack replied, we are onlookers. This battle is none of our affair. Only the nobles of the defending house are awarded the right to place accusations against their attackers. If any nobles are left alive... Breeza added, obviously enjoying the drama. At that moment, Drizzt wasn't sure if he liked this new revelation. However he may have felt, he found that he could not tear his gaze away from the continuing spectacle of drow battle. All the Duarden compound was astir now, soldiers and slaves running about in search of a better vantage point and shouting out descriptions of the action and rumors of the perpetrators. This was drow society in all its macabre play, and while it seemed ultimately wrong in the heart of the youngest member of House Duarden, Driz could not deny the excitement of the night, nor could Driz deny the expressions of obvious pleasure stamped upon the faces of the three who shared the balcony with him. Alton made his way through his private chambers one final time to make certain that any artifacts or tomes that might seem even the least bit sacrilegious were safely hidden. He was expecting a visit from a matron mother, a rare occasion for a master of the academy not connected with Arak Tanilath, the school of Loth. Alton was more than a little anxious about the motives of this particular visitor, matron Sinefe Honet, head of the city's fifth house and mother of Massage, Alton's partner in conspiracy. A bang on the stone door of the outermost chamber of his complex told Alton that his guest had arrived. He straightened his robes and took yet another glance around the room. The door swung open before Alton could get there, and Matron Sinefe swept into the room. How easily she made the transformation, 
walking from the absolute dark of the outside corridor into the candlelight of Alton's chamber, without so much as a flinch. Sinefe was smaller than Alton had imagined, diminutive even by the standards of the drow. She stood barely more than four feet high and weighed, by Alton's estimation, no more than fifty pounds. She was a matron mother, though, and Alton reminded himself that she could strike him dead with a single spell. Alton averted his gaze obediently and tried to convince himself that there was nothing unusual about this visit. He grew less at ease, however, when Massage trotted in at his mother's side, a smug smile on his face. "'Greetings from House Nat Galrose,' Matron Sinefe said. Twenty-five years and more it has been since we last talked.' "'Galrose?' Alton mumbled under his breath. He cleared his throat to cover his surprise. <clears throat> "'My greetings to you, Matron Sinefe. he managed to stammer. "'Has it been so very long?' "'You should come to the house,' the matron said. "'Your chambers remain empty.' "'My chambers?' Alton began to feel very sick. Sinefe did not even miss the look. A scowl crossed her face, and her eyes narrowed evilly. Alton suspected that his secret was out. If the faceless one had been a member of the Hanette family, how could Alton hope to fool the matron mother of the house? He scanned for the best escape route, or for some way that he could at least kill the traitorous massage before Sinefe struck him down. When he looked back toward matron Sinefe, she had already begun a quiet spell. Her eyes popped wide at its completion. Her suspicions confirmed. "'Who are you?' she asked, her voice sounding more curious than concerned. There was no escape, no way to get at Massage, standing prudently close to his powerful mother's side. "'Who are you?' Sinefe asked again, taking a three-headed instrument from her belt, the dreaded snake-headed whip that injected the most painful and incapacitating poison known to Drow. "'Alton,' he stuttered, having no choice but to answer. He knew that since she was now on her guard, Sinefe would use simple magic to detect any lies that he might concoct. I am Alton Devere. Devere? Matron Sinefe appeared at least intrigued. Of the House Devere that died so many years ago? I am, am the only survivor, Alton admitted. And you killed Gelrus, Gelrus Hanet and took his place as master and sorcerer. The matron reasoned, her voice a snarl. Doom closed in all around Alton. I, I did not. I, I could not know his name. He would have killed me, Alton stuttered. I killed Gelruz, came a voice from the side. Sinefe and Alton turned to Massage, who once again held his favorite two-handed crossbow. With this, the young Hanette explained. On the night Half Devere fell, I found my excuse in Gelruz's battle with that one, he pointed to Alton. Gelruz was your brother, Matron Sinefe reminded Massage. Damn his bones, Massage spat. For four miserable years I served him, served him as if he were a matron mother. He would have kept me from Thorthair, would have forced me into melee match there instead. The matron looked from Massage to Alton and back to her son. 
and you let this one live, she reasoned, a smile again on her lips. You killed your enemy and forged an alliance with the new master in a single move. As I was taught, Mashaz said through clenched teeth, not knowing whether punishment or praise would follow. You were just a child, Sinefe remarked, suddenly realizing the timetable involved. Massage accepted the compliment silently. Alton watched it all anxiously. Then what of me? he cried. Is my life forfeit? Sinefe turned a glare on him. Your life as Alton de Vere ended, as so it would seem, on the night House de Vere fell. Thus you remain the faceless one. Gelru's Hanette. I can use your eyes in the academy to watch over my son and my enemies. Alton could hardly breathe. To so suddenly find himself allied with one of the most powerful houses in Menza Baranzan. A jumble of possibilities and questions flooded his mind, one in particular which had haunted him for nearly two decades. His adopted matron mother recognized his excitement. Speak your thoughts she commanded. "'You are a high priestess of Loth,' Alton said boldly, that one notion overpowering all caution. "'It is within your power to grant me my fondest desire. "'You dare to ask a favor?' Matron Sinefe balked, though she saw the torment on Alton's face and was intrigued by the apparent importance of this mystery. "'Very well,' "'What house destroyed my family?' Alton growled. "'Ask the netherworld, I beg, matron Sinefe.' Sinefe considered the question carefully, and the possibilities of Alton's apparent thirst for vengeance. "'Another benefit of allowing this one into the family?' Sinefe wondered. "'This is known to me already,' she replied. "'Perhaps when you have proven your value, I will tell—' "'No!' Alton cried. He stopped short, realizing that he had interrupted a matron mother, a crime that could invoke a punishment of death. Sinefe held back her angry urges. This question must be very important to you to act so foolishly, she said. Please, Alton begged. I must know. Kill me if you will, but tell me first who it was. Sinefe liked his courage, and his obsession could only prove of value to her. "'House to Arden,' she said. "'To Arden?' Alton echoed, hardly believing that a house so far back in the city hierarchy could have defeated House de Vere. "'You will take no actions against them,' Matron Sinefe warned, "'and I will forgive your insolence this time.' You are a son of House Annette now. Remember always your place. She let it stay at that, knowing that one who had been clever enough to carry out such a deception for the better part of two decades would not foolishly enough disobey the words of her matron mother of his house. Come, Massage, Sinefe said to her son. Let us leave this one alone so that he may consider his new identity. I must tell you, Matron Thinefe, Massage dared to say, 
after he and his mother had made their way out of Sorcerer. Alton de Vere is a buffoon. He might bring harm to Halthanet. He survived the fall of his own house, Sinefer replied, and he has played through the ruse of the Faithless One for nineteen years. A buffoon? Perhaps, but a resourceful buffoon at the least. Massage unconsciously rubbed the area of his eyebrow that had never grown back. I have suffered from the antics of Alton de Vere for all these years, he said. He does have a fair bit of luck, I admit, and can get himself out of trouble, though he is usually the one who puts himself into it. Do not fear, Sinefay laughed. Alton brings value to our house. What can we hope to gain? He is a master of the academy, Sinefay replied. He gives me eyes where I now need them. She stopped her son and turned him to face her that he might understand the implications of her every word. Alton de Vere's claim against House Duarden may work in our favor. He was a noble of the house with rights of accusation. You mean to use Alton de Vere's charge to rally the great houses into punishing House Duarden? Massage asked. The great houses would hardly be willing to strike out for an incident that occurred almost twenty years ago, Sinefe replied. House de Arden executed House de Vere's destruction nearly to perfection, a clean kill. To so much as speak an open charge against the Duardens now would be to invite the wrath of the great houses on ourselves. What good, then, is Alton de Vere? Massage asked. His claim is useless to us. The matron replied, You are only a male and cannot understand the complexities of the ruling hierarchy. With Alton de Vere's charge whispered into the proper ears, the ruling council might look the other way if a single house took revenge on Alton's behalf. To what end? Massage remarked, not understanding the importance. You would risk the losses for such a battle for the destruction of a lesser house? So thought House de Vere of House de Warden, explained Sinefe. In our world, we must be as concerned with the lower houses as with the higher ones. All the great houses would be wise now to watch closely the moves of Dermen Nasher's Bernan, the ninth house that is known as Duarden. It now has both a master and mistress serving in the academy, and three high priestesses, with a fourth nearing the goal. Four high priestesses? Massage pondered. In a single house? Only three of the top eight houses could claim more than that. Normally, sisters aspiring to such heights inspired rivalries that inevitably thinned the ranks. And the legions of House to Arden number more than three hundred and fifty, Sinefe continued, all of them trained by perhaps the finest weapons master in all of the city. Zach the Fane to Arden, of course, Massage recalled. You have heard of him? His name is often spoken at the academy, even in Thorthair. Good, Sinefe purred. Then you will understand the full weight of the mission I have chosen for you. An eager light came into Massage's eyes. 
Another Duarden is soon to begin there, Sinefe explained. Not a master, but a student. By the words of those few who have seen this boy, Drizzt, at training, he will be as fine a fighter as Zachnafane. We should not allow this. You want me to kill the boy? Massage asked eagerly. No, Sinefe replied. Not yet. I want you to learn of him, to understand the motivation of his every move. If the time to strike does come, you must be ready. Massage liked the devious assignment, but one thing still bothered him more than a little. We still have Alton to consider, he said. He is impatient and daring. What are the consequences to Half Hanet if he strikes Half Duarden before the proper time? Might we invoke open war in the city, with Half Hanet viewed as the perpetrator? Do not worry, my son, Matron Sinefe replied. If Alton de Vere makes a grievous error while in the guise of Gelru's Hanet, we expose him as a murderous impostor and no member of our family. He will be an unhoused rogue with an executioner facing him from every direction. Her casual explanation put Massage at ease, but Matron Sinefe, so knowledgeable in the ways of Drow society, had understood the risk she was taking from the moment she had accepted Alton de Vere into her house. Her plan seemed foolproof, and the possible gain, the elimination of this growing house to Arden, was a tempting piece of bait. But the dangers, too, were very real. While it was perfectly acceptable for one house to covertly destroy another, the consequences of failure could not be ignored. Earlier that very night, a lesser house had struck out against a rival and, if the rumors held true, had failed. The eliminations of the next day would probably force the ruling council to enact a pretense of justice, to make an example of the unsuccessful attackers. In her long life, Matron Sinefe had witnessed this justice several times. Not a single member of any of the aggressor houses, she was not even allowed to remember their names, had ever survived. Zack awakened Drizzt early the next morning. Come, he said, we are bid to go out of the house this day. All thoughts of sleep washed away from Drizzt at the news. Outside of the house? he echoed. In all of his nineteen years, Drizzt had never once walked beyond the adamantine fence of the Duarden complex. He'd only watched the outside world of Menzoboranzen from the balcony. While Zack waited, Drizzt quickly collected his soft boots and his pivafui. "'Will there be a lesson today?' Drizzt asked. "'We shall see,' was all that Zack replied. But in his thoughts... The weapons master figured that Drizzt might be in for one of the most startling revelations of his life. A house had failed in a raid, and the ruling council had requested the presence of all the nobles of the city to bear witness to the weight of justice. Breeza appeared in the corridor outside the practice room's door. Hurry, she scalded. Matron Malice does not wish our house to be among the last groups joining the gathering. The matron mother herself floating atop a blue glowing disc, for matron mothers rarely walked through the city. She led the procession out of House Duarden's grand gate. Breeza walked at her mother's side, with Maya and Ryzen in the second rank, and Drizzt and Zack taking up the rear. 
Verna and Dinan attended to their duties in the positions at the academy had gone to the ruling council summons with a different group. All the city was astir this morning, rumbling in the rumors of the failed raid. Drizzt walked through the bustle, wide-eyed, staring at the wonderment at the close-up view of the decorated drow houses. Slaves of every inferior race, goblins, orcs, even giants, scrambled out of the way, recognizing Malice riding her enchanted carriage as a matron mother. Drow commoners halted conversations and remained respectfully silent as the noble family passed. As they made their way toward the northernmost section, the location of the guilty house, they came into the lane blocked by a squabbling caravan of Durgar, grey dwarves. A dozen carts had been overturned or locked together. Apparently, two groups of Durgar had come into the narrow lane together, neither relinquishing the right of way. Breeza pulled the snake-headed whip from her belt and chased off a few of the creatures, clearing the way for Malice to float up to the apparent leaders of the two groups. The dwarves turned on her angrily until they realized her station. Begging your pardon, madam,' one of them stammered. "'Unfortunate accident is all.' Malice eyed the contents of one of the nearest carts, crates of giant crab legs and other delicacies. "'You have slowed my journey,' Malice said calmly. "'We've come to your city in hopes of trade,' the other Dorgar explained. He cast an angry glare at his counterpart, and Malice understood that the two were rivals, probably bartering the same goods to the same drow house. "'I will forgive your insolence,' she offered graciously, still eyeing the crates. The two Durgar suspected what was forthcoming. So did Zack. "'We will eat well tonight,' he whispered to Drizzt with a sly wink. "'Matron Malice would not let such an opportunity slip by without gain.' "'If you can see your way to deliver half of these carts to the gates of House Duarden this night,' Malice finished." The Durgar started to protest, but quickly dismissed the foolish notion. How they hated dealing with drow elves. "'You will be compensated appropriately,' Malice continued. "'House Duarden is not a poor house. Between both of your caravans you will still have enough goods to satisfy the house you came to see.' Neither the Durgar could refuse the simple logic— but under these trading circumstances, where they had offended a matron mother, they knew that the compensation for their valuable foods would hardly be appropriate. Still, the Grey Dwarves could only accept it all as a risk of doing business in Menzoberranzan. They bowed politely and set their troops to clearing the way for the drow procession. House Tecandias, the unsuccessful raiders of the previous night, had barricaded themselves within the two-stalagmite structure, fully expecting what was to come. Outside of the gates, all the nobles of Menzoberranzan, more than a thousand drow had gathered, with matron Ben Ray and the other seven matron mothers of the ruling council at the head. More disastrous for the guilty house, the entirety of the three schools of the academy, students and instructors, had surrounded Takendia's compound. Matron Malice led her group to the front of the line behind the ruling matrons. As she was the matron of the ninth house, only one step away from the council, other drowned nobles readily stepped out of her way. 
Halstekendias has angered the Spider Queen, Matron Benray proclaimed in a voice amplified by magical spells. Only because they failed, Zack whispered to Drizzt. Breeza cast both males an angry glare. Matron Benray bade three young drow, two females and a male to her side. These are the remains of House Freth, she explained. Can you tell us orphans of House Freth? she asked of them. Who it was that attacked your home? House Tecundius, they shouted together. Rehearsed, Zack commented. Breeza turned again. Silence, she whispered harshly. Zack slapped Drizzt on the back of the head. Yes, he agreed. Do be quiet. Drizzt started to protest, but Breeza had already turned away, and Zack's smile was too wide to argue against. Then it is the will of the ruling council, Matron Benray was saying, that House Tekendia suffer the consequences of their actions. What of the orphans of House Freth? came a call from the crowd. Matron Benray stroked the head of the oldest female, a cleric recently finished in her studies at the academy. Nobles they were born, and nobles they remain, Benray said. House Benray accepts them into its protection. They bear the name of Benray now. Disgruntled whispers filtered through the gathering. Three young nobles, two of them female, were quite a prize. Any house in the city gladly would have taken them in. Benray, Breeza whispered to Malice. Just what the first house needs, more clerics. Sixteen high priestesses is not enough, it seems,' Malice answered. "'And no doubt Benray will take any surviving soldiers of House Freth,' Breeza reasoned. Malice was not so certain. Matron Benray was walking a thin line by taking even the surviving nobles. If House Benray got too powerful, Loth surely would take exception.' In situations such as this, where a house had been almost eradicated, surviving common soldiers were normally pooled out to the bidding houses. Malice would have to watch for such an auction. Soldiers did not come cheaply, but at this time, Malice would welcome the opportunity to add to her forces, particularly if there were any magic users to be had. Matron Benray addressed the guilty house. House Tecandias, she called. You have broken our laws and have been rightfully caught. Fight if you will, but know that you have been brought this doom upon yourselves. With a wave of her hand, she set the academy, the dispatcher of justice, into motion. Great braziers had been placed in eight positions around House Tecandias, attended by mistresses of Arachtanilith and the highest-ranking clerical students. Flames roared to life and shot into the air as the high priestesses opened gates to the lower plains. Drizzt watched closely, mesmerized and hoping to catch a glimpse of either Dinan or Verna. Denizens of the lower plains, huge, many-armed monsters, slime-covered and spitting fire, stepped through the flames. Even the nearest high priestesses backed away from the grotesque horde. The creatures gladly accepted such servitude. 
When the signal from Matron Benray came, they eagerly descended upon House Tecendius. Glyphs and wards exploded at every corner of the house's feeble gate, but these were more inconveniences to the summoned creatures. The wizards and students of Sorcerer then went into action, slamming at the top of House Tecendius with conjured lightning bolts, balls of acid, and fireballs. Students and masters of melee match there, the school of fighters, rushed about with heavy crossbows, firing into windows where the doomed family might try to escape. The horde of monsters bashed through the doors, lightning flashed, and thunder boomed. Zack looked at Drizzt, and a frown replaced the master's smile. Caught up in the excitement, and it certainly was exciting, Drizzt bore an expression of awe. The first screams of the doomed family rolled out from the house, screams so terrible and agonizing that they stole any macabre pleasure that Drizzt might have been experiencing. He grabbed Zack's shoulder, spinning the weapons master to him, begging for an explanation. One of the sons of House Tecendius, fleeing a ten-armed giant monster, stepped out onto the balcony of a high window. A dozen crossbow quarrels struck him simultaneously, and before he even fell dead, three separate lightning bolts alternately lifted him from the balcony, then dropped him back down onto it. Scorched and mutilated, the drow corpse started to tumble from the high perch, but the grotesque monster reached out a huge clawed hand from the window and pulled it back in to devour it. Drow justice, Zack said coldly. He didn't offer Drizzt any consolation. He wanted the brutality of this moment to stick in the young drow's mind for the rest of his life. The siege went on for more than an hour, and when it was finished... When the denizens of the lower plains were dismissed through the brazier's gates and the students' instructors at the academy started to march back to Tierbrech, House Tecendius was no more than a glowing lump of lifeless molten stone. Drizzt watched it all, horrified, but too afraid of the consequences to run away. He did not notice the artistry of Menza Boranzen on the return trip to Hastuarden.